Welcome to The Ross Project, a conversation about life, entrepreneurship, personal development, family, tech, and marketing. My name is Ivan Temelkoff, and I'm your host. On this podcast, you will gather 100% real, raw, and unfiltered, life-changing advice to level up in every aspect of your life and business and help you reach your goals. I can't believe this is my life today. I finally have everything that I've dreamed of the houses, the cars, and all the luxuries that come with being a multimillionaire. But it wasn't always like this. You see, I was born in Tehran, Iran. My father left us when I was three and I never saw him again. In the old country, we got bombed on for nearly eight years by Saddam Hussein. We then decided to move to the United States with one luggage and $500. We live in the projects. We got food stamps. Life has taught me some hard lessons that have humbled me such as bankruptcy, getting arrested, getting divorced, having my house foreclosed on. But somehow God always had my back. Now my mission is to help and inspire others to live the American dream. If I can do it against all odds, so can you. Ladies and gentlemen, I have a doozy of an episode today. And I have Sam with me back here. Is that correct, Sam? Yes. Back TR, yes. Back TR, and Sam is a doctor, so that is Dr. Sam to y'all, CEO, author, world-class bodybuilder, and multimillionaire entrepreneur. He runs a fitness franchising business, the Camp Transformation Center, with 110 locations and two different supplement and nutrition companies with a bachelor's degree from Pennsylvania State in sports science and life science and a doctorate from Los Angeles College of Chiropractic, Dr. Bakhtiar has helped over 100,000 people transform physically and mentally. He is the, he uses his business acumen and coaching to the 1% club, excuse me, uh, by helping others rise above. Sam, welcome to the show. Thank you, Ivan. Man, I almost butchered your bio, and, and I was reading, as I was reading this, you know, I'm like, I, I'm, first of all, I'm so excited to have you on, because right before we hit record, you know, uh, as I told you, I watched your YouTube video on Who is Sam a couple of times in the span of 10 minutes, and it really resonated with me, because there were so many things that I think personally resonate with my own personal life and business, so let's start off with Three years old, you come to the United States. Let's talk a little bit about your story. Yes, so I was born in a country, a third world country called Iran. You know, uh, and when I was three years old, two things happened. One, my mom and dad got divorced. My dad went to Canada, and I never saw him again. Two, um, you know, we got in a war with Saddam Hussein, and Saddam Hussein was started bombing us every night. You know, so, uh, and then at the age 11, my mom decided that it's time to, for us to get out of the country. She didn't want me to go to war to, um, you know, to get killed. So we escaped the country. We left the country as refugees of war. We came to the United States in uh, July of 1985. Um, you know, when I say we, it's me, my mom, single luggage, 500 right. bucks. And uh, for a hope of a, of a better life. And when I was coming to America, I was thinking that I'm coming to Beverly Hills because my research back then was American TV shows. Right. You know, they didn't have Google, your Yahoo, or anything else like that. 
Um, you know, uh, so, uh, you know, I was looking at American TV shows. I thought everybody had mansions and everybody lived in Beverly Hills and, and all that kind of stuff. I came to Sharon, PA, which was a very uh, blue collar, you know, lower class city with an average income of maybe $20,000, $25,000 a year. Uh, old steel mill shut down. And in the middle of 1985, in the middle of crack cocaine epidemic. Yeah. So that was, that was my first impression of America. Well, you know, it's interesting you say that because I think most people outside of the United States have a complete false mis complete false perception, I should say, of the United States because mm -hmm. they think that they're walking into paradise when they come to the United States. And it's interesting you were sharing about, you know, your father, which, you know, you, you didn't have a father to figure, it sounds like, at least in your childhood. Which, you know, is something that, you know, a lot of kids at a very young age obviously struggle because of from a de developmental standpoint, right, is from a guidance standpoint. So when you guys moved here and you had this perception of Beverly Hills, what happened? Were you, like, disappointed completely once you found very out what the... Very disappointed. I mean, I was expecting Beverly Hills. I go to mm -hmm. a convenience store that my uncle owned in the middle of the hood. Uh, which I saw outside in you know, abandoned building, brick roads, yeah. uh, prostitutes and drug dealers. And that was, that, was my, that was my first impression. So I was definitely disappointed, you know, and I was like, what the hell is this? Yeah, yeah. I think a lot of people do. And, and not just back in, you know, that time, but I think a lot of people have a, a complete misconception of the United States. So, you know, it's interesting that you mentioned this because that's where I kind of want to talk a little bit more. So obviously coming to the United States next to nothing, what, what happens next? I mean, what's going through your mind? Obviously this isn't Beverly Hills by any means. Well, I mean, I mean, I'm like, well, what, 11 years old, 12 years old at the time. Mm -hmm. I'm like, all right, but well, now I got to go to school. You know, I, you know, what am I going to do? You know, I don't know the language, you know, what's going to be my next food. I wonder how the kids are. I wonder how the schools are. I wonder, you know, if I'm going to be ahead or, or, or behind, you know, I, I wonder a lot of things. So there's a lot of uncertainty, especially when you're 11, 12 years old, pre-teenage years, you know, you want to be accepted and your clothes is different than everybody else. You don't speak the language or haircut is different. You just look different and you are the only minority in the pretty much entire town and definitely in the entire school. Yeah. You know, it's so ironic because it said 11, 12 years old, I was 13 years old when we immigrated to the United States. And I'm a kid who was bullied all through high school. And a lot of things that you mentioned is that there was the cultural barrier, antisocial. There was the, the language barrier, right? So, you know, I don't think a lot of people understand in the United States of how blessed they truly are, you know, of how much they, they have. And how many people actually take all of these things for granted on a daily basis? Like the fact that you can speak English, which is, you know, pretty much the number one language worldwide, right? And that being such a huge blessing, but also having the amenities that you have in the United States, because you came from a country that doesn't offer any of this. I mean, for eight years, you were bombed by Saddam Hussein and living under a total dictatorship. And people can't fathom that. And, and, and there's, I mean, so much to be said about that because you said third world country, right? And I can resonate personally with that because up until the age of nine, I lived under a communist regime. And people would never fathom, I mean, you could be arrested for celebrating Christmas. I mean, what the fuck? Like, who does that? That is so inhuman, right? 
to people. So when you when you were here, like, how did you how did how did you figure out? Okay, what am I going to do next? How am I going to survive? I mean, you're 11, 12 years old, right? So peer pressure, trying to blend in, trying to learn the language. Did you always know at a very early age that you always wanted more out of life? You know, I always, as a kid, I always wanted to be the best, you know, and, you know, whether, whether I was playing soccer, whether it was like anything, I wanted to be the best. I wanted the best things in life. You know, uh, I didn't know what that meant. I just wanted better things in life, you know, uh, and uh, when I came to the United States, it was just like, I was taken off. I'm like, I don't know what direction I should go, you know, and I don't know how school, I don't know what good is. The kind of cars that I liked in my old country, there are whole different kind of cars here that I don't even know nothing about. You know, you know, it, it was, it was crazy. You know, uh, I remember, yeah. you know, my uncle picking me up in a Cadillac, you know, and I'm like, what the hell is this? Like, I've never seen, <laughs> I'm, I'm looking at the speedometer of, uh, of a Cadillac, you know, it goes up to 85 miles an hour, the old school Cadillac. Yeah. You know, and I'm like, 85? Is that all this car can do? 85 miles an hour? And I, I, I'm used to kilometers. Sure. You know what I mean? You know, and I'm, and I'm like, kind of like totally, you know, it's totally out of my element. Yeah, absolutely. So you were, you, you were, you were getting influenced by your surroundings, the cars at a very early age. And I think, like you said, I think, you know, from the beginning of this episode is, is too many people have a complete misconception what living in the United States really is. They think it's like yeah. walking in the park, right? It's that everyone's happy, you know, everyone's living the American dream. So you knew at a very young, young age that, you know, you wanted more, you were impressed by, by, by the cars. Where did this really start all coming together? Because, I mean, you've done some, you know, and a couple of things that I mentioned is, I mean, you've gone through a lot of adversity, you know, through your, through your life. So getting arrested, <laughs> bankruptcy, divorced, you know, foreclosure, um, and at the same time, like you were trying to figure out what that American dream looked like. At what point were you starting to realize this is my American dream and this is what I want? And how did you go about it? You know, I, um, it all started with me getting cut from the basketball team, you know, and um, I was devastated. You know, I was a star soccer player in my own country. You know, I was somebody in my country and I was a nobody here. You know, and I got come from the basketball team. Again, I got bullied, ridiculed, made fun of. I went home to my mom. I said, Mom, I don't want to be, I don't want to live here. I want to go back to my old country. I'm going to go back to Iran because getting bombed on, you know, and, um, and it was better than being in a country where you're not wanted. Yeah. You know, and uh, my mom, you know, give me a speech, you know, that defined three things. Number one, she said, that's not an option. We can't go back. You know, we're refugees. Right. You know, which means that the concept we know right now is burn the boats. Two, she said, Sam, do you want to play basketball? Because if you want, you know, because uh, if you want to play basketball, all you have to do is pay the price and put in the time and, and get better at it. That's yeah. concept called concept of willing to pay the price, going all in. Third, she she put a plan together. After school, she said, Sam, you get out at two fifteen, be at the boys' club by two thirty, practice basketball till five. I come pick you up. We do homework. You eat. Go back to bed. And we're going to do this every day to get better. And then that, that third concept is called planning. So burn the boats, you know, burn the boats, the, the you know, hard work, you know, paying right. the price and planning is what I was taught. And that's the basis of my success today. And, uh, you know, so when I went to 
get better at basketball. Um, you know, I fell in love with weightlifting. I see these guys are all jacked. <laughs> and I was, I, was, I was watching Sylvester Stallone movies and Arnold movies, and I want to I yeah. be jacked. And that's what happened. You know, the rest is history. I fell in love with the transformation, transforming my body, which, you know, not only transformed my body, but also transformed my mind and my mindset and everything. Yeah. You know what I mean? And yeah. from, then on, from then on, man, you know, the rest was history. I knew that's what I wanted to do the rest of my life. I wanted to help people transform. So that was actually going to be one of my next questions is this, you know, what was it that really drew you into bodybuilding? Because I know that's, you know, a huge part of what you've done, you know, for for majority of your life. And that you mentioned that you saw these guys, you know, Sylvester Stallone, Arnold Schwarzenegger, back in those days, 80s and 90s, you know, they kind of dominated the movie screen, right? So you see these guys, they're all jacked up. But it's more than just bodybuilding, right? It's It's the mental shift that it created for you. And how that really shaped the rest of your life because, and speaking also from experience, because as of right now, I'm 23 days into a carnivore diet and it's probably the most challenging thing that I've ever done. And I've seen the, tra- the mental transformation that has created. So let's talk a little bit about the bodybuilding. I mean, when you were first getting into it, what is it was it always about building muscle, building strength? Or at what point did you start to realize the mindset potential and how valuable that was to, to life and business. I started seeing, you know, the, the mindset potential right away, you know, mm-hmm. because, you know, just like anything else, you know, I started bodybuilding, I started lifting weights, I couldn't even do the bar at first. <laughs> you, know, you know, 45 pounds, I couldn't even do the bar. I was, I was sure. 12, 12 years old, you know, scrawny kid, awkward body, mm-hmm. you know. Next thing you know, after a few weeks, oh man, I can do the bar plus 10 pounds. Oh, uh, after a few weeks, I, you know, I was get a little stronger, a little stronger, a little stronger. And then I saw that, oh, wow, through persistence, through hard work, I'm seeing improvements. I'm seeing improvements on my waist. I'm seeing improvements on, 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 on sure. what I can lift. I can see marginal improvements on my body. And that gave me confidence to, to know that if I want to do anything in life, all I got to do is be persistent, be consistent, and be resilient enough yep. to keep me through with it. So you said a couple of things here that I want to expand upon further uh, because, you know, most people don't see what happens under the surface. And you talked about consistency and resilience. Clearly with, with all your adversity, you know, that you mentioned in your story thus far is this, you know, there's been a lot of setbacks, right? And I think that traditionally society looks at that as setbacks, right? That maybe you're incapable, you're not talented, but you you leverage that's the resilience factor in you you leverage all those setbacks to improve yourself to become a better version to to level up so how did you the one thing i'm curious in knowing is and hearing your thoughts on this is every time you failed and failure per se that you didn't accomplish the result that you were looking for how did you go about that did you give up or did you keep keep going well i mean look um i very early on understood something, you know, that failure is not an option for me. Right. You know, I, I, I don't want to fail. I don't want to give up. I'm always been, you know, my mom put that thing in my head and said, you know what, you know, be willing to pay the price. And if you're willing to pay the price, you have to accept that failure is going to be there. And the faster you fail, the faster you're going to become successful. You know, so yes, I'm, did I ever get discouraged, you know, from failing? Yes. Have I ever, you know, I've been knocked down, yes, but I've never been knocked out. I figured out a way to get back up, 
and and and, and I, I figured out a way to get back up, get on my get on my uh, toes, and I figured out a way to win again. Yeah. You know what I mean? So um, so far, you know, I've been uh, I've been knocked down so many times. Yeah. Okay, but I'm not gonna let a setback set me back. You know, I truly believe that a setback is a God's perfect stage for a huge comeback. Yeah, that is so powerful uh, right there that you mentioned because I'm a firm believer of that as well. And there's been so many parts of my own personal life specifically that really resonate with a lot of things that you mentioned. And that's why I wanted to get your take on failure is not an option because I think I've always personally known that that failure is not an option, but I've always been swayed by society to accept that. Because we know that we, we live in a very mediocre world. Let's face it, with everything that's happening right now in the news and politics and everything else, is to, you know, a lot of people are confused. A lot of people are focusing elsewhere than focusing on themselves. And you also said consistency, which is a big part of what people don't understand of what really consistency means. So consistency is basically not, not giving up. No matter how many times you fail, you just keep going. Yeah. I think some people would probably interpret that as being a little bit insane, right? But how does the saying, I think it's a Steve Jobs quote, is um, those who are crazy enough to change the world are usually the ones that do. So let's talk about what that craziness looked like in your eyes. I mean, you were persistent with bodybuilding. You were trying to figure out the business. And at what point, I guess, the business side of things really played into this? Well, you know, um, when, when I graduated, you know, chiropractic school, you know, I always knew that, you know, chiropractic school was something that my mom wanted me to go. I wanted me to become a doctor. Right. I opened up my own transformation center as my gym. So after I graduated from chiropractic school, I opened up my first gym. The same discipline that applied to bodybuilding is the same discipline that applied to my business. Same exact discipline. You know, you just divert the discipline to certain things. What did I have to do with bodybuilding? Right. I had to show up at a certain time. Right to be disciplined with every, you know, what I'm going to eat my meals. I got to be disciplined to when I go to bed. I got to be disciplined of how, what, what I'm going to, you know, uh, make time for posing, tanning, and how I'm going to be, be able to peak on the day of the show. Well, guess what? Business is the same way. Business is the same way. Same exact thing. Same exact yeah. thing. You know what I mean? So I apply what I know in bodybuilding, the discipline, the time management, you know, the, the, the deadlines, you know, the process. Right. So the entire thing. Let me ask you this. So, you know, there's a lot, a lot of parts of your story. So, you know, becoming a doctor, going to chiropractor school and all of that. Since a huge part of this audience is entrepreneurs, you know, dreamers, go-getters, you know, people that, that, that want to accomplish something. What's your thoughts on formal education versus real education? I think formal education is great to give you a little basic background and training and, you know, teach you a little bit about life. You know, uh, you know, I don't put formal education down because formal education taught me punctuality, you know, work with people, you know, you know, be under pressure and got me the hell out of the house. So I know how to do laundry and cook for myself, you know, <laughs> uh, you know, which a lot of people don't even do these days. You know what I mean? Right. So, um, you know, but self-education is basically life is basically life you know you can't possibly get out of school and say i'm done learning you know what i mean you're just beginning 
This is just the beginning of learning. So for me, self-education is a must. Self-education is every day. Self-education is something that you need to carve time for. I need to make a priority. You're never going to out-earn. You're never going to out-earn who you are. And And the reason I ask this question is because one of my favorite quotes is, formal education will make you a living. Self-education will make you a fortune by Jim Rohn. Yeah. And, you know, as someone who is a college dropout and barely graduated high school, you know, I've battled with this for a very long time because, you know, I think I was always led into, you know, being a, uh, the son of immigrants. You know, I, I think the reason I asked the, the education question is because obviously uh, someone like you who immigrated to this country is, is I think our parents have such huge expectations of us because they want us to succeed. They want us to do better. Uh, but at the same time, they, we kind of follow this sort of traditional route that no longer really exists. I mean, think about it. In the 50s and 60s, the way people lived and the way people live now in 2020, significantly different. You've got self-made millionaires on Instagram and Facebook every single day, right? So it's just the times are different. And that's why I was curious in, in hearing, you know, what your thoughts were on formal versus self-education because I'm someone who went to the school of hard knocks. You know, I graduated from the school of Google. And I think a lot of people sort of belittled that for a long time because it wasn't formal, right? It wasn't a traditional route. And I think that's probably one of the biggest misconceptions. And what I want to know from from your standpoint is, would you say that the self-education that you acquired, you know, through bodybuilding and everything that you self-taught yourself was had a much greater potential an opportunity on your success or was a combination of formal no, and self-education? No, 100%. 100%. I think self-education grooms you to in the real world. You know, mm-hmm. 100% agree with that. However, to me, I don't even put them separately. Education is education, yeah. right? Yeah. Any education is good. Any sure. education, whether it's formal education, whether it's self-education is good. When you stop learning is when you start dying. Yep. That's an excellent point. And, and so, and that's, I've heard that from so many people too, you know, that they talk about that, you know, the most successful people are lifelong learners. There's always something new that you're learning every day. And, you know, in this day and age that we live in, in this digital world, it's important to constantly educate every, every single day. And I'm actually curious, you know, how do you maintain a sense of relevance to the world? How, how do you, self-educate like what what keeps you going what's part of your maybe your routine that you do that ensures that you have the cutting edge knowledge and education i would say my my part of my routine is my time management okay you know you know i manage my time ruthlessly i know exactly what i'm doing every hour of every every waking hour of every day and i make sure i allot time for you know self-education learning reading you know, buying programs, you know, going to masterminds, going attending conferences and, and, you know, making myself relevant. Yeah. That's very, that's very important time management because you have to spend your time wisely. I think a lot of people don't understand that. I mean, a lot of people spend their time on shit, believe it or not, you know, watching TV or, or, you know, doing stuff that's just not productive. That's not going to contribute to their future, to their growth. And without actually, I want to segue into the 1% club because I'm a big fan of the 1% club in general. In fact, I've done videos on the 1% club, 
But I, I want to hear more about what the 1% club with your coaching entails in and share more about that, you know, for others that might be interested in that. See, the 1% to me, you know, the, my definition of 1% is not, well, I'm better than you or I'm making more money than you or anything at all. Not at all. You know, when I first launched 1%, um, you know, he got a bad connotation because people thought, oh, well, because he's rich and because he has a six pack ab and he thinks he's better than us. And, you know, and, and people had a field day on social media with it. But yeah. what a lot of people don't realize, man, 1% is a mindset. You know, I, I, I wasn't born rich. I, you know, I had a horrible body. You know, I, I had horrible genetics. I made myself. 1% is anybody, anybody who decides they want to change and they're willing to put in the work to change. Just like my mom taught me. That's a one percenter. They're willing to do whatever it takes to make the change because they, they don't like the circumstances that they're in right now. That, to me, is a true definition of one percenter club, and that's what I teach today. That's, that's very powerful because I think there's a lot of people in the world right now that strive for change, but they're unwilling to do the work. Yeah. They're unwilling to change their bad habits. And, look, I'm personally speaking from experience. As a new student of being, I grew up on eating all kinds of shit. Yep. Literally, five-course meals, eat when you want, whatever you want. Yep. And one of the biggest challenges for me in 40 years of my life has been when I started this carnivore diet 23 days ago, which has been probably the craziest thing that I've ever done. Because just, eat meat? just eat meat? Is that what you do? It's just meat. That's pretty much it. And How do you feel? I feel amazing. You feel amazing, Sam. It's, you know, but I want to expand on, upon that a little bit. So about a year and a half ago, when I started my journey of really putting fitness, health and fitness and mind, personal development, the forefront of everything else is when my life truly started changing. And then the more persistent I was with it, you know, the better things getting. Not to mention that I've been a cyclist for seven years. And I've been doing that actually for mind therapy as well. But the fast forward to, to today is for two months, I literally hesitated to do this diet, you know, and I watched things like, you know, videos online and other people that have done it. I've seen these amazing results, but I've also read things like, well, it's bad for your kidneys as a long-term diet. And, you know, some people have had heart attacks and this and this. And that's when I realized that, Ivan, you're focusing too much on the minutia of things out there instead of just doing it. And 23 days, 24 days today, eight and a half pounds lighter, I'm persuaded. Good. I'm persuaded that it works. But, you know, to your point with bodybuilding, and that's why I talked about it earlier, too, is this, you know, this really wasn't about weight loss. I don't even really think it was as much about nutrition. It was about mind. Yeah. Take it to something. Yeah. The ability to control cravings. Mind you, I've ate sugar for as long as I can remember. And now, and also have been a social drinker. And so I remember right before I started this or like one week into it, because I still drink alcohol, but I've shifted to hard liquor. Now, and I might even drink it maybe once per week. I'm talking about just a few drops now. But mind you, I was the guy that would drink, you know, a couple of Coronas per night, you know, because it was, you know, I'm having dinner, you know, maybe watching a little bit of TV. And now, like, it's a completely different reaction. You know, it's a completely different feeling and the ability to say no. So being in control, yeah. being able to, to make a decision. And you know what? 
in my earlier days, in my 20s, which was just, you know, just, just, just a haze completely, I think, is this that I was always swayed and thought that it was okay, you know, always to do what everybody else uh, was doing, not what I wanted to do. So focusing on myself is really where improvements started coming. It's like, focus on myself, not anybody else. Do what I want to do. What's going to help me succeed? What do I want? Because similar like you, yes, I love fancy cars. I would love to buy a big house for my family. And all of this, these are all dreams. These are all goals. But I think for a long time, I was approaching them incorrectly. And this is where I was so excited to have you know you on the show because you've done all this. I mean, 30 years later, right? You know, like now you have all of this. So my question to you is, what does it feel like? It feels great finally getting to where you always dreamed of getting. However, mm-hmm. you know, um, it's not the ultimate happiness. Interesting. Ultimate, How so? It's not, it's not the ultimate happiness. Ultimate happiness is to me is always progressing, always getting better. You know, yeah, it's cool. The mansion is cool. The cars are cool. You know, this, the material stuff is cool. But if I have all that material stuff and I'm not getting any better every day, I won't be happy. I won't be a happy person. But if I'm, you know, living in just a little apartment, very minimalistic life and just have an apartment and have a, I don't know, a smart car, I don't care. You know, uh, you know, you know and, but I'm getting better every day. I'm 100% happy. So this stuff is a byproduct of everything that I've done, but it's not who I am. You know what I mean? So, so I don't tie my happiness to material things. You know, I, I, when, when I was broke, when I didn't have anything, I thought these things would make me happy, but it doesn't. You know, it is for me, progression makes me happy. For me, becoming better every day in all aspects of my life, becoming happy. And, and believe it or not, one aspect of my life is making more money or, or having more, more in my bank account. There's right. nothing wrong with that, but it's not the only thing. It's not, definitely not the only thing because if I had if I had a hundred million dollars in the bank and then all of a sudden like I'm not doing anything all I'm doing is getting up you know turn on a TV and just relax on the couch I'll be miserable I'd be I'd be absolutely miserable you know yeah. but if I just have a modest life but I'm I'm get to read I get to research I get to have fun I, I get to work out that's that's much 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 better place to be than yeah. you know, having 100 million in a bank account and just sitting on the couch and not really doing anything with your life. Progression is happiness. I love that. that. That's a caption in itself right there because I think you know, happiness is so misconstrued in the United States. And in fact, I think everyone has the opportunity and potential to reach happiness. But I think too many people cannot define for their own selves what happiness means yeah. because they're so swayed by, like you said, the materialistic things. You know, a lot of money in the bank, uh, fancy cars, big house, you know, a pretty girlfriend, maybe, you know, but none of that really will truly give you that sense of happiness. The only last thing that I, that I wanted to get your take on is so through all this time, as you were progressing and, you know, your life is growing, your business is flourishing, you know, you, you're getting closer to goals. What was that why and purpose? Did you have a why and a purpose that really kind of kept pushing you every single day? And what was that? Well, before kids, my why, my why and purpose was to make something out of myself. 
you know, to, to, to prove all the naysayers wrong, to, to show people that the guy who everybody, you know, said, oh, man, you know, you know didn't come from all the best of the beginnings, could, could be able to do it. Mm-hmm. But now it's my children. My why is my, my, my children. My why is for them to, to see what dad had to do, to see what dad does, and yeah. to, to see what it looks like. You know, that, that's my number one why. I mean, I'm good. I mean, I, like I told you, I can, I'm, I'm simple. I can live in an apartment, you know, have a basic car, you know, a Wi-Fi connection, and I'm 100% good. I'm yeah. 100% good. You know, I want my kids, though, to see what dad had to do to get, to get them what, what they want and what they need to do in the future for their own kids. You know, it's, there's a reason why I asked the why and the purpose is because your, your why changed uh, as you grew, right? Yeah. And not with kids because I'm the same way. My, my kids, my son and daughter are my why. Yeah. Because of what you said is just that I want them one, one day to understand what it took to build something and really pass on that torch, you know, and those fundamentals to them so they can thrive and grow in their own ways and be able to achieve their goals um, and dreams. But Sam, this has been an amazing conversation. You know, there's, there's so much heartfelt stuff that you shared, and, and I'm sure this convo could go endlessly. But before we wrap this episode, let's throw out some handles, websites. How can people connect with you? Oh, real easy, man. They can, they can connect me um, at Sam Bakhtiar, all my social media handles. S-A-M-B-A-K-H-T-I-A-R. And, um, you know, I have a community phone number, 909-200-4015. They can text me directly there. Awesome, Sam. Well, thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me, Ivan.